occult crimes, paranormal investigations, urban legends, and strange happenings. Welcome to Myths, Magic, and Murder. <laughs> hey, welcome to Myths, Magic, and Murder. This is episode 83. I'm Abby. I'm Kate, and we'll be your ghostesses throughout this October month. It's spooky month. It's officially the spookiest of all months. Here we are. Get your little woolen hats on and your little jackets that you've been saving up to show all your friends the year round. That's just you. I'm pretty sure. Listen, you didn't Kate, have to shoot me. Kate buys jackets and then she brings them everywhere because she wants people to be like, wow, what a lovely autumn jacket, Kate. Listen, did I bring a jacket 200 miles just to show my family and friends? Yes. Don't yeah. have regrets? I mean, it's a nice jacket. It is. What are you talking about today? Today, I'll be talking to you about Richard Chase, a vampire cannibal. That sounds horrific. It is. Hype. I'm talking about the vampire king of Fresno. But it's more like um, kind of a messed up cult situation. Fresno reminds me of... Monsters vs. Aliens? Yes. When she says, in what world is Par- Wait, is Fresno better than Paris, Derek? You love that movie? I love Reese Witherspoon, and that's the truth. Is that the only reason you like that movie? No. I like the big bug. What's the- he called? Insectosaurus? Yeah. Yeah, he's fucking rad. Oops, I just did an F-bomb immediately, two minutes in. <laughs> You just call it an F-bomb? Ew. Who are you? I don't know. <laughs> Oopsie. Just an F-bomb on the potty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't also, we swear on this. I think I just had a bit of a brain fart. That's so funny. Um, Is that a swear? Fart? <laughs> oh, oopsie. Did another oopsie. F-bomb. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> do you have any news for me? I do have news this week before we get into it. Um, holy moly. Because... <laughs> What's wrong with you? Why have you been replaced with a 50s housewife? <laughs> I don't know. Holy moly. They think that they found the Zodiac Killer. Huh? So I rewrote this yesterday as the news came out because it's just from yesterday. So there are articles from various websites, but this is from Fox News and The Independent. So the casebreakers have identified the Zodiac Killer as just this guy, his name is Gary Francis Post, and he passed away in 2018. So obviously, if you don't know the Zodiac Killer, he's a very famous serial killer in the late 60s. We did a whole episode on it a while back, I think. We did, yeah. So the clues that led them to this breakthrough include new forensic evidence, including photos from Gary's dark room. There's an image of him that resembles the sketch of the Zodiac, including a very few um, specific like distinct scars on his forehead that match up pretty perfectly. They were also able to decipher letters sent by the Zodiac that apparently revealed Gary as the killer. So if you know his full name and you cross out all the letters of it, it gives you an alternative message, apparently. Wow. The woman who lived next door told Fox News that she believes that he was the Zodiac killer after seeing the evidence collected. She said that Gary and his wife babysat her child in the 70s and 80s and he would teach her how to shoot firearms, and he was also abusive to his wife. So obviously this is very new news, and it isn't, like, solid. 100% it's not, Yeah, like, there are some experts that are like, this is not good, this is not accurate, you can't just say that, you know. But, I mean, people seem to just be accepting it, so I think we'll just have to see what comes out about it. I have a fun possible fact, I'm not sure how legit it is, about Gary. Oh, you do? Apparently... Gary left a review of a film. Is that 
It the was Ted Bundy one? The Ted Bundy film. And his comment was... Overrated. overrated. I saw that as well. How funny is that? Was that him? Apparently, yeah. Oh my god. Yep. I really hope he is the Zodiac Killer. Could you imagine? Me too. That's so funny. That's hilarious. I keep seeing like memes about it because obviously everyone's been speculating for years. Like, could it be this guy? Could it be this guy? Could it be It's just some bloke named Cruz? Gary. And everyone's like, who the fuck is Gary? <laughs> Gary, you were never in our minds. And now apparently he is. But we'll have to see. I think it's obviously pretty amazing anyway, regardless, because there's something. Yeah, something to which go is off of. better than what we have before. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's the news I have this week. Very interesting. Thank you for the news. That's okay. Um, just a quick warning. There is a child murder in my story. I'm gonna skim over it as much as humanly possible. I think so a pre warning for this episode in general. We did ask what you wanted to see for some of the uh, October episodes, whether you wanted to be more si- like more silly or like more scary, more disturbing. Most people said that they wanted to see some messed up stuff. Obviously, we're going to, you know, try and... We give the people what they want. Give it our own little happy twist, I guess, but it's still obviously going to be a bit gross. So mine also has that. Yeah. So just just so you're aware, I'm not going to go into graphic detail. Yeah, we'll do something a bit more lighthearted next week. I think, yeah. But yeah. Okay, my sources are Wikipedia, Murderpedia, allthatsinteresting.com, historicmysteries.com, and mysteriousuniverse.org. So I'll start, same as ever, letting you know about Richard's background. He was born in Sacramento, California, on May 23rd, 1950. I feel like most of you already know about Sacramento, but just quickly, it's the capital city of California and has a population of around 520,000 people. Although back in 1950, there were only 137,572 people. That's a very specific number. Thank you. It is. It's from the census. Anyone wants to fact check me, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) So it's increased pretty massively. And as I say, one of those people was Richard Trenton Chase, who would soon go on to be known as the Dracula Killer, the Vampire of Sacramento, and the Vampire Killer. He didn't kill vampires. He was a vampire. Who killed. That's a lot less nice. Like so many of our serial killers, Richard was raised in a very strict household, and his father punished him physically when he saw fit. This could be one of the possible reasons why at that at the age of 10, Richard was already fulfilling the McDonald triad. So I've mentioned this in previous episodes, but if you haven't listened to them or you're new to the show, the McDonald triad is also known as the homicidal triad or the triad of sociopathy. And it's basically three things, arson, cruelty to animals, and enuresis, otherwise known as wetting the bed after five years old. Consistently. If you get drunk one night and you pee the bed, you're not going to be a serial killer. Thank gosh. <laughs> Why are you censoring yourself so much? I don't know. Thank goodness. I've also never peed the bed drunk, but it's good to know just in case. It was proposed by psychiatrist Jay McDonald, and it's basically thought that if a child exhibits these behaviours, there are a higher likelihood to go on to be a sociopath or homicidal. Which in this case, spoiler, it predicted perfectly. As Richard aged, he continued to have problems. He had trouble maintaining relationships when he was in high school, partly because he couldn't get aroused, and partly because by this time he had developed a drug and alcohol addiction. 
So he went to a psychiatrist who told him that the root of his problem was either repressed rage or a type of mental illness. However, Richard never sought help for either of these things and just continued on. Oh, of course, as you do. Well, shortly after this, Richard became a hypochondriac. For those that don't know, it's when someone's excessively worried about being sick, although there are little to no signs that they are. He would complain that his heart would sometimes stop beating, turning him into a walking corpse, and that he believed someone had stolen his pulmonary artery from him. He also believed that vitamin C would be absorbed by his brain through diffusion, so he would place oranges on his head and leave them there for a bit. Richard, please go to therapy. Yeah. Plus he started shaving his head because he thought that his skull had separated and was moving around. Oh so my gosh. He wanted to keep an eye on it. I mean, fair. I feel like if you thought your skull was moving around, it would be good to get a closer look. Yeah, well, you can't see through your hair, can you? It's true. By this point, Richard was an adult and he'd briefly moved away. But with these problems, he thought it'd be best to go back to his family home and live with his mother. This didn't last long, though, because he was sure she was poisoning him. At which point, his father bought him an apartment and forced him out of the house because he was causing his mother stress. Oh my gosh. Obviously, though, leaving someone alone just means they have more time to fulfil their hobbies. Which would be fine if it was knitting, but Richard's hobby was killing and disemboweling animals, eating what was left of them raw, and drinking their blood. Oh my god! Richard! <laughs> Zero to a hundred, buddy! Yeah. This... That's not a hobby. It's <laughs> no. Have it's... you heard of crafts? Have you Please gone to the craft store? Do needle felting, I'm begging you! So this mixed in with his hypochondria, as he believed that his heart was naturally shrinking, and that if it shrank too much, he would die. So the only way to enlarge his heart was through a blended smoothie of raw animal entrails, mixed with some cola. <laughs> cola? <laughs> Diet? Regular? Pepsi? Just regular. Okay. And it was cola, not Pepsi. All right. When he hit the age of 25, though, medical professionals had to get involved. They had to get involved because Richard had given himself blood poisoning by injecting himself with rabbit's blood. Once they realised he was experiencing symptoms of paranoid schizophrenia, they institutionalised him. So, at first, they were just like, oh, come on, like, you know, stay in a sort of low security place, like, we'll help you out. Then he broke out, um, then they had to go catch him, and then they put him into, like, a high security institution. Right. In the psychiatric hospital, though, he was no better, and he started to catch birds at the window, kill them, and drink their blood. This earned him the name Dracula from the hospital assistants. How do you even, like, police that in a, you can't. a facility like that? He was that. just by the window, and yeah. he was just catching and killing birds. How is he catching birds in his hands? I guess if you put some seeds in your hand. Where's he getting the seeds from? Well, they feed him, don't they? They maybe, feed him maybe, seeds? Maybe not seeds, maybe some bread. You know, I, mean? I don't think birds are picky. I don't think they're like, oh, not fancying that. Fair enough. Not only did he do this, but he also took blood from some of the therapy dogs using stolen syringes. No. Then he drank it. He did this because he believed the medicine he was being given was turning his blood into powder, and this was the only way to keep himself alive. Not the therapy dogs. I know. They're just trying to help. I'm sure they were fine. They were fine afterwards. They were just like, ooch. That wasn't pleasant. Then they continued giving therapy. Could the dogs give therapies? They had therapy dogs? Yeah, yeah. They sit this down and they're like... This whole institution is full of dogs giving therapy. It's run by dogs. Therapy. Yeah. 
They're therapy dogs. What do you think they do? I just thought that they were nice. I didn't realize they sat down and were like, so tell me about your feelings. No, they're like, okay, we're going to practice CBT today. (laughs) For some reason, best known to the institution, they released Richard. As we well know, they had not fixed his problems. He was just I'm assuming that this gets worse, considering the type of podcast that we do. Yeah. And they released Richard back home. His mother didn't agree with the use of his anti-schizophrenic medication, so weaned him off of it. Oh no. While Richard was gone, so while he was institutionalised, his parents had rented out his apartment. So when he stopped living with his mum again, he moved back into the apartment and he had a few roommates, which could be good. He can socialise a bit, chill out maybe. However, he scared all of them off by walking around in the nude with blood smeared across his body. That'll do it. I've had some bad housemates, like, but that would top it. It might do. I don't know, though. The dirty dishes. It's true. I think they're on par. Copious amounts of mould. In the summer of 1977, Chase was stopped by the police on a reservation in Nevada because he was covered in blood and there was a bucket of blood in the back of his truck. Later testing found it to be cow's blood, so he was just released without any charges filed against him. That's still a bit weird, though, right? Right? Like, I, it's not illegal to kill animals for their blood. I don't. But think. whose cow is that? That's not your cow. I mean, I guess they didn't know that. But I think if you are going down the street and someone's just got like a loose bucket of cow blood in the back of their car, that's got to raise like some kind of red flag. Unless they're a butcher or work in an abattoir. I guess you could say though, like, I'm a butcher. I'm a butcher. And then what are they going to say? I'd okay. Just be like, Go on then. Show me your your butcher house. What? Show me show me all of your butcher tools. Describe butchering. Yeah. Tell me what a skirt steak is. You get it off like a BuzzFeed quiz. Like, <laughs> how good of a butcher are you? If you score anything less than 70%, you know those ones we're where taking it's like, you in. only true butchers can get 90% or more, and they're like, okay, this is the only way to tell. So do you call them butchers? What do you call them? Butchers. That's what I said. No. Say it. Butcher. Oh, you did just then. If this wasn't enough, it was around now that Richard developed a fascination for firearms, even purchasing several handguns himself. He also became fascinated by the Hillside Strangler and believed he was a victim of a conspiracy involving Nazi aliens. Okay. This sounds good. And of course, he was still eating all his neighbours' pets. In late 1977, he went to his mother's house and brought her a gift. Yay! She opened the door, and he held out a dead cat. For her. It's like when cats go hunting and they bring you like a mouse. When she didn't take it, he threw it on the floor and started taking the blood from the cat and smearing it on his own face. His mother just calmly went back inside and didn't report it to anyone. What is she doing? I don't know. A few months later, on the 27th of December 1977, Richard fired one of his handguns through the window of a random home nearby but luckily no one was harmed. This prompted him to commit more crimes of this nature, and two days later, on the 29th of September 1977, he committed his first murder. He later explained that this murder was just a warm-up for another murder he was planning. Oh no. And that he did it because he was annoyed at his mother for not inviting him round for Christmas. He orchestrated a drive-by shooting, killing Ambrose Griffin, a 51-year-old engineer and father of two, who was helping bring groceries inside. Oh no. That's terrible. 
After this, Richard wanted to kill more people. Throughout January, Richard had tried to go into people's homes to kill them, but if the door was locked, he would leave, as it was a sign he could not enter the property, whereas he thought if it was unlocked, he was being welcomed in. Right. On January 23rd, 1978, he found an unlocked door. He shot mother-to-be Teresa Wallen three times using the gun he'd used in his previous murder, disemboweled her, engaged in necrophilia, then drank her blood. Jesus Christ. On one occasion after this, Richard was caught in someone's house and chased off as the couple returned home. So he stole their belongings and then urinated and defecated on the child's bed and clothing for literally no reason. He didn't do it again. The final murder, which also qualifies as a mass murder, happened on January 27th, 1978, at 38-year-old Evelyn Miroth's house. Richard entered the property through an unlocked door and first found Danny Meredith, who was Evelyn's friend. He shot him with the same handgun again. He also fatally shot Evelyn, who was in the bathroom. Richard also killed her six-year-old son, Jason, and 22-month-old nephew, David. Then he went back to Evelyn's body and did exactly the same as what he did to Teresa's body. But this time he was interrupted by a visitor's knock at the door. Richard fled and the visitor entered the property and immediately alerted the police. Luckily, Richard had left full footprints and handprints at the scene of the crime and police arrested Richard shortly after. Sorry, I don't know why I forgot his name. Literally been talking about him. When police had gone to his house, he refused to answer the door and pretended to be out. He just pretended to be out. He just pretended he wasn't home. I do that. But I'm also not killing people. However, since police knew he was in there, they pretended to leave and they (laughs) hid until he came out. Whatever works, I guess. When he eventually did come out, they found blood on his parka, his shoes, the gun in his pocket and Danny's wallet in his back pocket. The apartment itself was also covered in blood, so arresting him was obviously pretty justifiable. Yeah. He stood trial for six counts of murder. Richard's defence tried to change it to second degree while pleading insanity. But on the 8th of May 1979, after only five hours of deliberation, he was found guilty of all six counts of first degree murder. And he was sentenced to death in the gas chamber. However, on December 26th, 1980, he was found dead in his cell, having committed suicide from an overdose of prescribed medications. It's believed that other inmates were trying to convince him to kill himself because they were all afraid of him having heard the gruesome nature of his crimes. Yeah. When a post-mortem was done, apparently his heart was found to be in good condition. Just in case you were wondering. small. No, and his skull was fine. And if that wasn't enough, then um, apparently the 1987 film Rampage is based on the crimes. And some of the super awful facts were omitted from this. They may be in the film. They're definitely online if you want to go check them out. But I'm not trying to freak everyone out. Fair enough. Some of the stuff was not nice. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Going off of what you've already told me. Oh, yeah. It got so much worse. I mean, is that that your story? Yeah. That was very interesting, um, but very gross and horrible. Yeah. Well, all murder's horrible. Oh, obviously. Yeah, I'm not. But it's the nature of going about it i think he obviously just had some some serious problems and wasn't getting treated for them yeah it's interesting how um 
there wasn't there didn't seem to be like a level of like stepping it up from what you told me it was just like i'm gonna kill animals immediately i'm going to kill people now yeah you know well you've been killing animals for like years and years and years i wonder if he knew that it was like wrong i don't know because he gave his mum one yeah like a dead animal that's what i'm thinking i think that he had paranoid schizophrenia well yeah and he just deluded himself into genuinely thinking that he needed these things or he would die. Yeah. I think it's just an unfortunate story. And I think he probably didn't value animals. So he was like, well, it's either they die or I die. So it's fine. Do you think he was killing the people for the same reason he was killing the animals? Well, it's kind of inferred that uh, where he engaged in necrophilia... And he'd had problems with arousal as as a young, like younger guy, that that kind of level of violence was the only thing that could arouse him. Right. Um. So I think that's why he killed. Right. Okay, that makes sense. I was trying to wonder. I was wondering whether it was like the same reason or whether it was just multiple. I guess yeah. it fulfilled multiple different things. Yeah. Nasty. It is. But interesting. Thank you. You're welcome. If you want to hear more horrible, horrible things, um, if you want to follow us on social media, you can do that at Myths Magic Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Instagram is where we post most of our fun things, but if you want to just get episode updates, then you can follow us anywhere you like. If you want to see video podcasts and other fun behind the scenes stuff and extra things like that, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash Myths Magic Murder. On the Patreon, you can pay as much or as little as you want a month. It's a really good time. You can chat to other people that also like us, and you can see our beautiful smiling faces when we do podcasts. Uh, you also get 10% off of our merchandise. New things soon. Exciting. Great time. If you want to view the merch, it's over on our website on mythmagicandmurder.com. And there's also a referrals bit if you want to tell us some stories that you haven't heard that you'd quite like to, or submissions so you can tell us your own things. Also, if you have any haunted happenings, terrifying tales, or spooky stories, you can email those on mythsmagicandmurder at gmail.com. There are some great links on the website for uh, charities, for victim support, or donation to any sort of those kind of charities as well, if you want to go over there and check that out. You should do that. You should do that. So, my story is on Marcus Wesson. So, again, a pretty heavy story. Try and keep it a little bit less intense. Um, if you want to look at all the gross details, then give it your own little search. But my sources are ABC News, Wikipedia, Murderpedia, Film Daily, and DelaneyRBartlett.medium.com. So Marcus Wesson was born in Kansas. He was the oldest sibling of four children, and he was raised in a less than perfect household. Kind of like what you said. Kind of everyone who kills people, I guess. Yeah. Not everyone, but you know, a bit about them. It's definitely a correlation. Yeah, there's something there. He claimed that his mother was a religious fanatic and he was raised as a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, which is a branch of Protestant Christianity. They believe in sin and needing salvation, amongst other things, but this isn't a religion podcast, so I will not go into it too intensely. His mother was very into church, and his father was an alcoholic, and he was abusive. He abandoned his family when Marcus was a child, and the rest of the family moved to California. As a child, one of his favourite things to do was to play preacher, 
which is mildly concerning for a child, but I guess not immensely, because I imagine he was going to church if his mother was religious. Yeah, if you have like a really religious upbringing, it's not that weird. Well, I mean, it's possibly like, like I used to like play teacher as a, as a kid. Yeah. Because I wanted to talk. So here I am now. <laughs> Keep an eye on your kids. As he got older, he decided to join the military as a medic, but he was discharged in the 70s and he quickly met his first love, Rosemary. What a beautiful name. Yeah, like the herb. The herb. A delicious herb. She was married at the time, but the two were so determined to be together, she quickly broke her marriage so that she could be with Marcus, and he moved into her house. A small detail about Rosemary, just a small one, is that she had eight children. Wow. Impressive amount of children. Good for you, Rosemary. So she thought this might prevent him from wanting to move in and be with her, but he didn't like it. He didn't mind it at all. He seemed thrilled by the idea because he claimed that they all needed a shepherd to guide them. Okay. So that's always like, you know, on the edge of cute and creepy, I think. Mm. So quickly, Rosemary became pregnant again and Marcus welcomed his own child into the world. So at this point, the house was getting pretty crowded, but the family would only grow from here because Rosemary's oldest daughter was an adult and she developed a drug habit, which made her unable to care for her own children. So she brought her seven children oh my God. to come and live with the family. So there's what, like 16? 16? 16 kids. Of various ages. Wow. And this is where things turned sour. So Marcus had finally a large group of people under his influence. So he could really start to play preacher, as it were. Oh no. So Marcus quickly took on the role of leading the family. And in more of a cult way than a father figure way. He required everyone to either call him Lord or Master and began physically abusing the children. He even stabbed a teenager when they tried to leave the house at one point because oh he wouldn't God. let them. Yeah, it was bad. He would preach three times a day, like he'd always dreamed of. He was teaching the family about religion, but with his own twists. Because he had a strange obsession with vampires and the undead, so he believed that Jesus Christ was actually a vampire and he began teaching this to the children. I don't know where this comes from, Fun, I don't think I you can ad-lib that much. Yeah, I don't know how um, you can go to church every day and then just be like, I have a theory and I'm going to teach it. Man's been watching too much Twilight. He's spreading the word of vampire Jesus. So he began collecting coffins. He gave some of his children vampire names. Um, admittedly, like slightly uncreative. One of them was called Jiva, a combination of Jesus and vampire. He also, in true cult leader fashion, told them that he was a god and he cut off their contact with the outside. He began homeschooling all of the children and isolating them. At this point, Rosemary herself was so brainwashed by Marcus that she didn't see anything wrong with his actions. He would also move the family around a lot. At one point, they lived in an old boat with no water or electricity. He made them stay below decks so that they wouldn't be seen. After this, they moved into a tent followed by a school bus where they travelled across the coast. Eventually, though, they purchased an office building for everyone to move into. So they were able to afford this because one of Marcus's rules was that if you were old enough to work, you did, and you gave him all of your earnings. But Marcus refused to work himself, so all of the income was from the children. And they lived cheap because of this. Well, most of them did. Food wasn't easy to get, so they often only ate rice and took food out of dumpsters because there are a lot of people, and obviously, like, most teenagers aren't getting 
extremely high-paying jobs. But because Marcus was a god, he often dined out on fast food by himself. What a knobhead. He also controlled them in other ways. Everyone had to walk behind him when he went anywhere. The girls were forbidden to talk to men, even their own brothers and cousins, in case they developed sexual feelings for them. The family were also responsible for all of the cooking, cleaning and other labour, including washing him and scratching his armpits. Ew, dude, That's just kind of nasty, right? Ew. Then things got worse, because Marcus started taking a liking to Rosemary's eight-year-old daughter, Elizabeth. Oh. So he performed a marriage ceremony on Elizabeth and began assaulting her when she was 12 years old. He intended to legally marry her at the age of 15, because that was the legal age of parental consent at the time, and her mother agreed to this. So she said, like, yeah, I'll I'll give you consent to marry Elizabeth when she turns 15. At 14, Elizabeth became pregnant for the first time. She would go on to have 10 more children before the age of 26 as a result of Marcus's actions. Whoa. Right? And she wasn't the only girl in the cult who was subjected to his abuse. When they reached eight, he began assaulting them, in that he was calling it, like, loving, followed by performing a marriage ceremony with all of them, the same pattern as before, even including a gold wedding band for each of the disturbing ceremonies. That's fucking disgusting. Though he fathered seven more children from the girls in the cult, several of which were were with his uh, nieces and daughters, he talked highly of incest, um, because he thought it produces the seed of perfection, of oneself. Mm. For many of the children's lives, they lived under Marcus's control, so many of them didn't even know what the outside world was like. And then two of his children, Ruby and Sophia, walked out. Their sister remained loyal, but these two, they were his nieces, I think, sorry, they begged him to leave, and he was like, you can go, but you have to keep your kids here. So they were like, fine, because we need to get out of here. So they began adjusting to the outside world and how everything works. And then they realized how twisted everything was under Marx's control because they had never realized it before. They'd never really been out there, you yeah. know, lived a normal life. So they were like, oh shit, he's doing horrible things to our kids and we need to get them out. Good for them though, for being like, you know what? Everyone else has taken this. I'm not, I can't, I need to go and I need to protect myself. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where, obviously, I'm not finished yet, but cults, we've talked about it before, they just brainwash you. So there's there's very little, I think, people can do Oh yeah. when they're under that kind of control because they think it's all they have. Definitely. And they don't, you know, a lot of them were raised, they were children, so they didn't realise. Yeah, and you're completely isolated. If your whole family is there and you've never experienced the outside world... What are you supposed to do? Exactly. So they they were able to walk out. So then they gathered several relatives for support, so outside of the cult, and they went back to the house to rescue their children. Marcus refused to let them in, and the remaining children yelled at them, saying that they were Judas and they were bitches and they should bow down to their master because they were still brainwashed by him. Because of the shouting match, it didn't take long for the police to arrive at the scene. So the girls pleaded with the officers because they were like, Marcus is dangerous and they've created a suicide pact. So the police knocked on the door. Marcus, you know, came out because he was just like, the police officer were just like, this was a custody issue, mm. obviously, because they didn't realise the, the severity of it. Yeah. 
So then Marcus came out and he was calm and he was like, yeah, I'll let the kids go, but I just want to say goodbye to all of my family. And then the police claimed that they didn't hear the gunshots coming from the house, but the neighbors said that they did. Oh. After an hour and a half, Marcus left the house wearing a shirt drenched in blood, and then he surrendered to the officers. The police entered the home and they discovered nine bodies at the crime scene in a room with antique coffins in it. Two of the bodies were Marcus's daughters. Everyone who wasn't inside the house survived. Every other member of the family or or the cult, however you want to to say it. So the the deceased were Sabrina, Elizabeth, um, Illabel, Aviv, Jonathan, Ethan, Marshy, Java and Sedona Wesson. A crowd began to form around the house as Marcus was arrested. So he stood trial a year later and at this point he cut his hair short and lost nearly half of his body weight because no one was taking care of him. Many of his family testified, and many of them were still loyal to him. But the jury quickly learned what a terrible person he was. He claimed that he didn't kill anyone, and that Sabrina, the oldest victim, had done it. She killed everyone and then herself. But they were unable to determine this because there were no prints on the gun, and the wound was inconclusive. Listen, I'm just saying... If there are no prints on the gun, it wasn't someone that killed themselves. Because they wouldn't have been able to wipe the prints off of the gun. Well, there was the idea that he had commanded her to do it. Yeah, but even if she... And then wiped it afterwards. I don't know. So then he's definitely an accessory. You can put him away for something. Well, he's... Obviously done a lot more than that, doesn't he? So oh, yeah. Massive. <laughs> so Ruby and Sophia told their story about how Marcus claimed to be a god, making everybody worship vampire Jesus and then treating them like slaves in this cult-like setting. And they were also said, they also said this was a plan all along. And once the police tried to interfere, he commanded Sabrina to kill herself and everybody else. And she was a very loyal follower, so she would have done this. Mm. They said that this was his pattern of making somebody else do it so that he could just walk away. But it didn't really matter because he was found guilty of every charge he was faced with. So for the abuse, he was sentenced to 102 years. So regardless, it wouldn't matter. And then for the murders, he was sentenced to death. But it was changed when California banned the death penalty in 2016. But he'll never be eligible for parole. So he's not getting out of there. Well, that's good. He is in the famous San Quentin prison. With plenty of other horrible people, including the Vampire of Sacramento. He was in there before he died. No way. Yeah, weird crossover, isn't it? Yeah. And the surviving followers now realise how brainwashed they'd been, and they're trying to recover their lives. Many of them broke their silence in 2016 and did an interview with ABC News. They said that he was God, and that's just how it was. So how would they know any different? Yeah. They were born into it, or they were very young, thinking that this man was God, because he said he was. Why would you question it? He used fear to manipulate them. At any point, the children who were allowed to work, you know, went to what they could have told the police, they could have told their boss, but they didn't because they were afraid. And it's a weird situation you know, that you can be, you can be led to those beliefs. Obviously, like, no shame on the victims at all, but it's just, it's wild the level of fear and control you can give to people. Well, I mean... Through manipulation. Uh, it's It's absolutely absolutely just to do with the situation isn't it it's like that um darren brown thing where he made someone kill someone oh yeah you know it's just 
little things slowly stack up and it's just testing your loyalty again and again and again and like feeding you false beliefs and you can just change someone entirely yeah without them even noticing that it's happening yeah and especially where obviously you know some of the children were a lot older they were adults or rosemary his wife she was part of it but she was obviously fully grown you know but the audacity of like doing that to people who are very young like they're going to believe you you could tell a kid anything and they will believe you yeah if you're manipulating these children into believing that you're god and that jesus is a vampire they're gonna believe it so yeah so that was a pretty wild story i thought i would tell you I wonder if your vampire man and my vampire man ever chatted in San Quentin. I don't know. Are they allowed to do that? I mean, they gotta eat. True. I don't know how... I know it's very high security. How those kind of prisons work, yeah, because there are so many, like, high-profile serial killers in that prison. Yeah. I don't know if they're all allowed to see each other. Wow. Because that has to be dangerous, right? Yeah, but you've got to let them all out of their cell at some point. I think they even they get like one hour out of their cell a day. Yeah, I don't really know much about like the American prison system. Wow, if you know, please let us know. That'd be really interesting. It would be, yeah. I would like to learn more about it. I just hasn't come up yet properly. Yeah, never thought about it. Well, thank you for telling me about your horrible, horrible cult. Thank you for telling me about your horrible, horrible man. You're welcome. And I hope you have a horrible, horrible... Halloween month. <laughs> I don't. I hope you have a great Halloween month. And don't listen before bed. Listen before bed. <laughs>